If you're a parent, teacher, or school leader, and you're sick and tired of the frustration, anger, and unfair treatment of children at high risk in our public schools, then perhaps it's time for all of us to do something about it. In this podcast, Dr. Amitra Berry brings you tips, tools, strategies, and tactics to build successful solutions while touching, moving, and inspiring all of us to transform our schools so that every child thrives. Here's your host, Dr. Berry. Welcome back, Equity Warriors. Thanks for joining me. You know, together, we are out to change the conversation about equity in education. We're about changing the trajectories of the lives of marginalized and oppressed children, not just in the United States, but around the globe. I cannot do this alone. And I know you're sharing this message. Thank you so much for doing that. But I have a special ask for you today. If you know of a conference or organization or event that needs to hear this message, that needs to understand why this is so important at this time in our history with what's going on in our schools, in our world, get them connected. I've put a special email down in the notes for this episode. It's drb at almitraberry.com. Have them listen to an episode. Give them that email address. Let's get this message out to larger audience. You and I together, we as a community, we can affect change. Let's do this. In 1969, Nina Simone recorded the song, Young, Gifted, and Black. In it, she sings, There's a million boys and girls who are young, gifted, and black. And that's a fact. Nina was right. Hey there, my equity warriors. So glad we are together again today. I want to talk about Young, Gifted, and Black in 2023. But let's start with the definition of disproportionality in terms of gifted identification in America's public schools. White students are roughly 56% of the school population in our American K-12 education, but they make up 68% of the students identified for gifted programs. 56% of the population, 68% of those identified for giftedness. Black students make up 17% of our entire student population, but they only account for 9% of students identified, classified as gifted, less than half of their representative total. Nina Simone recorded that song in 1969. In 1969, I was seven years old. Yep, back to age seven, that pivotal year. If you have not listened to episode three, The Prison of I, where I talked about those years, age seven, age eight, and the personal trauma I experienced, as well as the what was going on in my education at the time, I encourage you to do so. It sort of gives a little more light and color to what I'm talking about now. I was identified as gifted when I was eight years old. One of my first teaching gigs, though, while I was still working on my credential, was as an itinerant gifted teacher. The itinerant teacher, if you've not had that experience and you're not sure what I'm talking about, I worked across several schools. I had a little cart that I would tote from place to place where I would sometimes have a routine, regular classroom that I was in. Sometimes I was wherever they could find space for me that day. I didn't always get to know my children very well because I was there for one day a week 
to service them in the gifted program for a couple of hours, not much of a program. There was no framework. And one of the things I was concerned about very early on in that experience was that there was a desire on the part of the district for parity, not necessarily equity. And when I say parity, I mean that essentially if 40% of the students were white, 40% of students in the gifted program must be white. If 8% of the students were Southeast Asian, 8% of the students in the gifted program would be Southeast Asian. And it didn't matter whether or not those children were truly gifted. You see, giftedness is not a necessarily a percentage of a population based on test scores. And essentially what this district did was to say, okay, top 8% based on their standardized test scores. If it's 8% of the population, top 8% based on their standardized test scores, those are the kids going into the gifted program. My problem with that was that I had children in the gifted program as fourth, fifth, and sixth graders who couldn't read at a first or second grade level. Now that goes to a lot of the provision gap. It goes to the methods that we use to teach our children. But the bottom line, many of those children weren't just underserved. They truly were not gifted. And true giftedness was being ignored. So we had the system set up of inequity. Now, in general, in schools that are filled with marginalized learners, particularly Black learners, we have an excellence gap. And that excellence gap, if you're looking across schools, is where we see that students who are truly advanced, but from low-income households, are not as advanced as their white middle-class peers. And a lot of that has to do with the instructional methods used in our schools that are filled with learners of color. It has to do with the expectations that are set in those schools filled with learners of color. It also has much to do with what wealth can buy you in this country. And so if you are wealthy and you have the opportunity, even given the same curriculum across a district, maybe even given the same outcomes or expectations across a district, if I can take my child after school to Kumon or to Sylvan or to pay for private tutors, yes, my child is going to do better. It doesn't mean that my child is gifted. It means that my child has had more opportunities to learn. They've had more structure. Perhaps they've had more rigor and they've had higher expectations, not set by the school, but set by the home. For kids of color, we tend to, and that's the royal we, not me personally, but our school systems seem to believe that grade level achievement for a black and brown kid is sufficient. They're working at grade level. Why should we push any harder? Our children, our black children in particular, are not being challenged to excel. And that is particularly true in schools that are a majority of color and majority of low wealth. Flip back to me for a second. I was quite fortunate. I was identified, you know, we're talking about the late 60s, early 70s. The great fear was the Soviet threat right? And so our country was so focused on making sure that they developed scientists and researchers, talent development at any cost, that a lot of money was poured into identifying true giftedness and then putting those children in a track that was excelled, that was going deeper so that the country could grow its own body of scientists to fight to combat the Soviet threat. Looking back now, I understand a lot of things that research has now put put a name to, that research has verified. Our attitudes, Black children's attitudes and their beliefs about their race and about themselves are deeply, deeply linked 
to their development, both their social development and their educational development. What I believed about myself, what I believed about people of my race, what our children believe about their self and their race is linked to how well they'll do in school. Those children who do not have a healthy racial identity tend to succumb to peer pressure. When they are bullied, as I was, when you are called things like an Oreo, when folks who look like you, Black people, say to you, you talk like a white girl, or you think you're too good just because you're smart, not all children are equipped to deal with that. And so sometimes it's just easier to not excel, to not show how smart you are, to not do well in school. And so because of that, they may feel like they don't belong in gifted programs because with that identification, with that selection, there is a community, I hate to use that word for this, but there's a, there's a backlash among their Black peers. So there are a lot of Black children who adopt the white European culture in order to succeed. We're told you got to do it 10 times better if you're a person of color. And that additional pressure, along with everything else, impacts educational growth. It impacts intellectual growth. It triggers things like perfectionism. Got to do it exactly right. I can't make an error. The stress that's placed on children because of that. So how do we do better? Educators, we need to create opportunities and, and safe spaces where we can openly discuss race and social justice in education. We have to help our students process how they feel about who and what they are, their race and their identity. If we want to close the excellence gap, if we want to close an achievement gap, we have to work to make sure that gifted kids of color are proud of who they are, that they're proud of their racial identification, and they understand the contributions that people who look like them have made in academia, in science, in medicine, in engineering, in aerospace, in every single field that's out there. And that's why programs like ethnic studies are really important. We have to teach them that they do not need to conform to the status quo. They don't need to adopt a conventional white middle-class attitude or white middle-class behavior. They come from very rich cultures who have contributed a tremendous amount to this country, to the world. If we want to close that excellence gap, we have to help gifted kids of color feel pride in who they are. We have to stop the bullying and that pressure to conform to a white middle-class status quo. And we have to stop the pressure, the bullying, or the expectations to adopt white attitudes or white behaviors. And you can continue to join me every week. Send me your questions, topics, and requests to AskDrBerry.com, and I'll answer those questions and bring you experts to help address those topics. Remember, don't worry about the things you cannot change. Change the things you can no longer accept. I'll see you next time. That's it for today's episode of the 3E Podcast. Head over to iTunes and subscribe to the show. One lucky listener every single week that posts a review on iTunes will win a chance in a grand prize drawing to win a $25,000 value private VIP day with Dr. Barry herself. 
be sure to head over to 3epodcast.com and pick up a free copy of Dr. Barry's gift. Then join us on the next episode.